Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We'll get to more of your best and worst of the weekend phone calls. Our next guest lived a very popular best of the weekend. It was the 100th anniversary of the Duke-Carolina rivalry. Many consider that among the best in all of sports, college or pro, America or elsewhere. They celebrated the anniversary in style, although the ending was liked only by those in the royal shade of blue. Dan Shulman was the play-by-play -play man next to our recent guest, Jay Billis, on Saturday night at the Smith Center. And he joins us now. Dan, I don't know if Billis has, you know, a trademark on any of his phrases about how this rivalry never lets us down or always lives up to the hype. But if not, he should. I mean, did you walk into that building expecting the unexpected on Saturday? Well, first of all, if I know Billis, he's working on trademarking. He always delivers, even as we speak. In fact, I, I think he was doing it during the second half of the game Saturday night. But, uh, no, I'll, I'll be honest, David. Um, uh, you know, I thought going into the game, Carolina would have to play great to have a chance. And other than free throws and, of course, a couple of blockouts at the end, Carolina played great. But I, I really I – di I didn't expect them to win the game. The, the coolest part was – you know, because they took the lead, the building was just, you know, energetic beyond belief. The yeah. noise was phenomenal. And everybody started getting this feeling, hey, there could be an upset here. There could be an upset here. And I've been lucky enough to do this for a while, as you know. And uh, I, I'm probably in, like, the mid-20s now in terms yeah. of how many Duke Carolina games that I've done. And this one might have been the most memorable of any that I've done. It just had... You couldn't have scripted out a, a more crazier, more compelling game than we saw on Saturday night. Dan Shulman is with us. He is on Twitter at dshulman underscore ESPN. I actually started covering this rivalry in 1988. So I'm, I'm past 50 games. And one thing that strikes me is that even when one side is down, their fans don't tend to enter the building meek at all or, you know, biting their fingernails at all. And, of course, the Tar Heels gave them a lot to cheer about early. Tell us more about that atmosphere that you experienced because it certainly looked like every seat was full. And after a strong start by the Tar Heels, it went from what's going to happen for the bottom of the standings Tar Heels against the top of the standings Blue Devils to, you know, everybody started to think they might be uh, witnessing some history being made. Yeah, absolutely. If you had told me, like if I had had memory loss and you had said to me, <laughs> no, 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 Duke's number one and Carolina's number two, right. I would have said, oh, oh, that explains the noise in the building. <laughs> like it, it, it was just like every other Duke-Carolina game I've ever done in Chapel Hill. Um, and, and I mean that in a good way because I think Chapel Hill sometimes gets a bad rap for the energy in the building. Like it's twice as big a building as Cameron, so it's a different animal. But it was off the charts. The students were great. You know, the game day show earlier in the day at 11 o'clock was really good. And when the team's struggling like they are, you don't know what kind of a vibe you're going to get. But I thought game day was really good. And then, like I said, walking in there, it felt like a number one and number two. And, um, you know, I always tell people, hey, if this is your first college game, make sure you get there early. Yeah. See the stuff that happens before the game. Carolina's got as good uh, a few minutes before the game as anybody those four giant video scoreboards they've installed at the Smith Center now. Yeah. And, and anytime you're rolling out all the All-Americans and Hall of Famers before the game up on the video board, saying whatever they say. I, I, I've got my headset on, but all I know is I see Michael Jordan's face up there. People are going nuts. And, and uh, you know, when they do the, the dive on the floor thing diagonally in, in the half court before the game and then they run off, 
It's terrific. It really is. And it felt like any other year. It felt like number one versus number two in the building. You know how the aftermath to such things go. Uh, some Carolina fans are talking, as you said, about missed free throws. You can't leave those 17 points on the board. Outside of Cole Anthony going 9 out of 10, uh, the heels were really horrific from the line. Others just attack the bad calls, right? The key moment where uh, Andrew Playtech had a Duke player kind of run through him right in front of Coach K, and they swallowed the whistle on that inbounds play. But what did you see from the other side? Now, I always like to credit the winner before I dissect the loser, right? And, it, it, you know, Vernon Carey and Cassius Stanley had both fouled out by the two of their three best players were no longer available for stretches of that comeback by the Blue Devils. What jumped out to you most as most former Duke players I know started tweeting and talking about grit and toughness and never giving up and Trey Jones and Wendell Moore because if you said Vernon Carey and Cassius Stanley would be unavailable down the stretch as the Devils were trying to come back, I'm not sure I would have believed you if you said they'd win. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. There's a lot to unpack on both sides here. So if you start with Duke, uh, with Carey out and Stanley out, you're right. It, it it didn't look good. And I thought both teams showed an incredible amount of grit. I mean, Duke yeah. gets back into it, the miraculous play at the end of regulation. Duke takes the lead in overtime. Then Carolina comes back from five down in overtime, and they take the lead only to see Duke come back again. But like 30 years from now, when I don't remember much of anything, <laughs> if you say to me, hey, what do you remember about that game? It's going to be Trey Jones. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, yes, Wendell Moore made the tip and the bucket on the last play to win the game, and that shouldn't be forgotten. But Trey Jones made like 10 plays, that if he only makes nine of them, they don't win the game. And I know he, you know, it was an air ball on the last shot, so they got a good break there that Moore was in the right position. But Trey Jones willed his team to victory. And at one point, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he scored 15 consecutive Duke points um, because he had to score 15 consecutive Duke points. So um, I, I think about the fight the whole team showed. I think about the different lineups both coaches had to use. But, like, in Mike Krzyzewski's case, he went incredibly small. Wendell Moore was the five yeah. for several minutes of that game. Like, not only was Carey out of the game, but Hurt wasn't in the game. Like, none of their none of their bigger guys. Delorier wasn't in the right. game. You know, I mean, they went very small because they, they felt that's what they had to do. O'Connell came in, made a couple of big shots. But to answer your question directly, I, Trey Jones is the, is the one I think is – he, the kid is a winner. He's an absolute winner in every sense of the word. Dan Shulman will not rest. He has the Wolfpack at Syracuse tomorrow night. The Blue Devils certainly are not resting. They just saw their new ranking is number seven, and they host number eight Florida State tonight. That is an ESPN game. Many of us are headed over to Cameron Indoor Stadium. That is a 7 o'clock tip. Since you just saw the Devils, uh, I know you have seen Florida State and Louisville as well. When you contemplate those three ACC leaders and top ten teams, who has the highest ceiling in terms of what they can be by March Madness and why? It's a great question. It's a question I got asked just a few days ago, and I had Louisville and Duke in a, in a photo finish yeah. on that, and I don't want to dismiss Florida State at all because Florida State's a really good team and a perennially underrated team and program. You know, and every single year it's like Leonard Hamilton rolls 10 guys out there yeah. long and athletic, and every time the whistle blows you got four new guys coming in. And they've got some really good players, like Devin Vassell's a terrific player. So uh, I think they're going to be an absolute handful for anybody, and I can't wait to watch tonight's game uh, as I get to Syracuse to check uh, check them out. But 
Uh, I think the other two, the ceiling is a little bit higher. Now, they could stumble. That's not yeah. to say they're yeah. sure going further. But I think the ceiling is a little bit higher. On Louisville, I think David Johnson, the freshman who's gotten healthy in the second half of the season, and I saw him at his best. He was great against Duke and Cameron. But uh, I think he gives them another look, another weapon, uh, just another way of beating people. But they've got to play tough. Like Jordan Wara's got to have a big game against a big team at a big time, and he's good enough to do that. But he's going to have to do that consistently in the NCAA tournament. They're big guys. Enoch and Williams are both going to have to deliver and do what they do best. I think you know what you're going to get from Perry and McMahon and Sutton and all the other guys. Like, they got a lot of bodies, and, and I think they're really good. As far as Duke, and I don't know how you feel. Like last year, you know, it was like a, it was like the Beatles, right, with Zion yeah. and RJ and Reddish and all that. But I actually think the pieces of the puzzle fit together much better this year. I think this team has a chance to go further because they can beat you in, in, in different ways. Trey Jones is a much better player. Terry is a great player. Stanley can go off at any time. And Mike Krzyzewski has shown the willingness on any given night to say, okay, maybe tonight – it's hurt and more. Maybe the next night it's O'Connell and Goldwater. Yeah. And he's just, you know, it, it's it's a matchup-driven system that he's using right now more than just these are my starting five guys and I'm going to roll them out there. And I, I think because he's got depth, I think because his uh, bench is loaded with unselfish veterans, uh, I think this is a better team than last year. I, I really do. I think they've got three elite players and six or seven great complimentary players. And I think Duke is very dangerous. I'm with you. You know, it's not that you can't ride two superstars all the way to a title, but Zion and RJ, everybody knew they were getting the ball last year. And Trey Jones was kind of a lesser version of himself offensively. And Cam Reddish, while a lottery pick, was not quite there either. I... I kind of see it the way you see it, Dan, with that uh, offensive diversity being making the Devils, you know, maybe even more difficult to beat this year. The rankings are out. Louisville is up to number five, uh, Florida State at eight, Duke at number seven as those two go head to head tonight. That's really been the theme for the ACC, as you know. The question that follows the theme of the ACC's big three is who's going to join them? You know, it's a league that's averaged eight bids for the last four years in the NCAA tournament. Your colleague Joe Lenardi, at least for now, has UVA barely in, NC State barely out, and assumedly Syracuse is hovering in that neighborhood somewhere. Uh, Notre Dame is on a roll. Uh, is there anybody else on that tier two, or is there one among those four that you like because you're about to call two of them with the Wolfpack visiting Syracuse tomorrow night? Right, and in what seems like just another game on the calendar, I, I think tomorrow night's game is actually a huge game for the Wolfpack yeah, and yeah. Syracuse because – uh, as you know, you're not getting as many opportunities in the ACC this year to pick up those big wins because the league is down this year. So, like, later on, UVA gets Duke at home. What a great opportunity for them, Feb 29, to pick up a win and and maybe nudge themselves securely uh, into the field. But I, I think the game tomorrow night between NC State and Syracuse is big. Syracuse started so poorly, and they're playing better. Uh, picked up a much-needed – if they lose to Wake on the weekend, Oof. I don't know that we're even having this conversation right. about the Orange right now. But they, they found a miraculous way to pull it out late um, against the Demon Deacons, and, and they got to keep rolling. Um, NC State is in the conversation as well. Uh, but, it, you know, I, I believe, and I'm sure you believe as well, when the committee says we don't care how many teams come from each league, we're picking the 36 best at large. I yeah, believe them. I do too. I don't, I don't think there's a – yeah, I don't think there's a quota on the ACC – where they say, well, we got to find a fourth or we got to find a fifth. I don't believe that. So 
you got to win the games you're supposed to win um, the rest of the way. And for Syracuse especially, because they're at home, I think they desperately need this win over NC State uh, tomorrow night. If, if, you, if you told me that in your crystal ball four teams are getting in, I think I would say Virginia is going to be yeah. fourth. But, uh, you know, this is all we know about college basketball. We don't know anything. But all we know for sure is Syracuse is going to be on the bubble cup collection <laughs> Sunday because they're always on the bubble cup collection Sunday. So um, we'll see how it sorts out uh, tomorrow night at the Carrier Dome. Well, as we let you go, we, of course, follow the Wolfpack half of your game tomorrow night very, very closely. Just as I believe that the genius of Coach K was on display in Chapel Hill on Saturday night, you know, knowing the heels were in foul trouble, for, you know, telling Trey Jones to attack, utilizing his depth, as you described, uh, making so many clutch plays, and probably just for a game winning a chess match head-to-head -head against another Hall of Famer in Roy Williams. I don't know how much you've had of the orange this year, but, man, I'm flashing back. Two years ago, Syracuse was 10th. 10th in the ACC standings, but made the Sweet 16. And back in 2016, they were ninth in the ACC standings, and they made the Final Four. I mean, that Bayheim guy is a Hall of Famer. And it feels like those top four guys, Dan Schulman, uh, Buddy Bayheim stroking the threes, and Joe Girard is a freshman point guard. Elijah Hughes looks like a first-team All-ACC guy. And Dolajai seems to make so, so many yeah. smart plays at both ends. I don't know if he has any depth. But I've seen this play before under Jim Beheim, And if it's not UVA, as you said, I, at least the arrow is pointed in the right direction at Syracuse right now. Yeah, I think it is. And you, uh, you sized up pretty much their offensive weapons right there. Like, for people who don't know, Buddy Beheim's not on the team because he's got the same last name as the Right, coach. right. Uh, I think he leads the conference in made threes right now. And, and he can go off for 25 to 30 any given night. Um, Elijah Hughes, if Syracuse is having a better year, Elijah Hughes, maybe he's not on the late season top 10 wooden, but he's on the 20 or 25. Yeah. Like That's the kind of year that he's having. Uh, Joe Girard is fascinating. New York State kids scored a billion points in high school. They love him in Syracuse. And he's been hot and cold, but he can go off on you. And Dolajai's playing the best, best basketball of his career. After that, it's a bit of an issue. Yeah. The big guy in the middle, Burama Sadibe, is not an offensive weapon at all. He can block some shots. They've got a freshman, Quincy Garrier, who's a really nice, rugged player, does some dirty work around the rim. But, like, if you're watching a Syracuse game and one of their big guys takes a silly foul 60 feet away from the basket three minutes into the game, that's a problem yeah. because they're, they're just so short. And, and Jim Beheim never plays nine guys anyways. He's always like a six-and-a-half, seven yep. guy but they've got to keep their big guys out of foul trouble and opposing big guys have really had their way with Syracuse so far this season. So if Syracuse is going to win, two things have to happen. The bigs have to stay out of foul trouble and the shooters have to make shots and, and they can't, they are capable uh, of getting on a run and beating. Listen, they gave Duke a run for their money last week, yeah. right? 97, 88. I mean, that was a really entertaining game. So, uh, they're dangerous, but they can slip up and lose to some bad teams as well. They've been pretty inconsistent this year. We can assume that one of our favorite Canadians got the usual and expected dose of Southern hospitality on his trip to Chapel Hill, right? Absolutely. All right. I, it's my, uh, like, in all seriousness, and you and I have been talking for many years, um, I've been privileged to do so many games down uh, on Tobacco Road, and I've been 
blessed that there are three nonstop flights a day between Toronto and Raleigh-Durham. That's the best thing that goes on. Yep. So I, I can get there easily, and I absolutely love going to Duke and Chapel Hill. I cherish the relationships I have with people at both institutions. And, and I'm getting to the point where, uh, you know, I, I, I'm starting to pinch myself every time I walk into either one of Amen. those arenas and say, enjoy this. This is, you know, this is, as a teenager or in my 20s, I never would have even dreamed about doing this kind of thing. Don't take it for granted. And uh, I will tell you that at the end, like I get asked a lot, a lot, um, what are your favorite venues? Right. And what are your most memorable games? And I, the, my most memorable game I always talk about was uh, unranked Indiana beating number one Kentucky in the Anthony Davis year 2012. Christian Watford makes this great shot to win it. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, that Duke Carolina game Saturday night was was off the charts it, it it really was and you know part of me feels like carolina was supposed to win it if you know what i yeah. mean like they fought so hard and but they just couldn't make their free they played so hard all seven of those guys played hard and played well like pierce was as good as he can be and keeling was as good as he can be and they were great but um yeah for me to go down to north carolina and and be able to do games like that is really uh a blessing, and I'm I'm just grateful that they keep giving me the opportunity to do it. All right, get your own trademarks in while you can. You become a cool part of this rivalry as well. Uh, <laughs> thanks for the time, as always, man. You're a true pro. We appreciate your time on the David Glenn Show. You got it. Anytime, David. You got it. D. Shulman underscore ESPN on Twitter. And back on the call tomorrow night as the Wolfpack visits Syracuse. Here's your ACC snapshot, folks. Louisville and Duke and Florida State all believe that they can get number one seeds. They might not be there right now. They're not there, according to most of the bracketologists. But if you're number five Louisville or number seven Duke or number eight Florida State, you're kind of on the two line, right? And if you play well down the stretch, you can get a number one seed. So that is the powerhouse ACC. That's the strong at the top place you want to be. I've always believed nobody cares if your eighth-place team can beat the Big Ten's eighth-place team. Nobody cares if your 10th-place team is as good as the 10th-place team in the Big Ten. Well, the bottom line is, do you have anybody that has a shot to win it all? By that measuring stick, the ACC has three yes answers, three of the top eight in the current polls. We'll see where they end up in the seedings, but on track for really high seeds at worst. After that, UVA is barely in. NC State is barely out, according to most of the bracketologists. Syracuse and Notre Dame haven't gone away yet, and I think both have enough offensive weaponry that they're going to be in the hunt for a while. They still need signature victories, but don't declare either the Orange or the Fighting Irish, which has kind of come back from the dead. Don't declare either of them dead just yet come the Selection Sunday vantage point. After that, you've got some NIT-looking teams, Pitt and Clemson, and Virginia Tech has really crashed back to earth in conference play. And at the bottom, as strange as it sounds, given the heels' fight against Duke, they looked like they belonged on the same court. They looked like they had a win within their grasp. When you look at the whole 23 games, Carolina is down there with Boston College and Wake Forest and Georgia Tech and Miami. The heels are the bottom five in this league. The Devils are the top three in this league. And there's a lot of interesting shades of gray in between. Duke hosting Florida State tonight, 7 o'clock ESPN. Wolfpack at Syracuse tomorrow night. Another big game that awaits us here in the next 24-plus hours. 1-800-849-2761. Many of your best and worst of the weekend votes have been for either the Blue Devils or the Tar Heels. Their coaches, their star players, the occasional referee thrown in there. 
You can chime in from elsewhere in the sports world if you like. You can go back to Duke Carolina with your question or comment, 1-800-849-2761. If you are someone who watched the XFL this weekend, simple question, what did you think? TV viewership was very high for the very first game, 3.3 million average viewers for the opener on ABC, other good numbers for the other three games played this weekend. Meanwhile, Spike Lee got best of the weekend votes, as did Seth Curry, LeBron James, Ja Morant, the Celtics, the Raptors, and others in the NBA. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Eric Jones, and others from the NASCAR world. The U.S. women's national soccer team got some best of the weekend love, as did John Jones in the octagon, Phil Mickelson out at Pebble Beach. He did not win. That went to Canadian Nick Taylor, but Phil playing better golf as he nears some important deadlines to get into the events he wants to participate in. 1-800-849-2761. It wasn't all great for the Devils. It wasn't all horrible for the Heels, but those have been the themes of the day. 1-800-849-2761. Lines are open. You can be next by dialing 1-800-849-2761 and joining us on The David Glenn Show. I would never be so competitive, so childish, that I would actually keep track of my record as a coach in youth soccer. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So when I think about my 78 wins, two losses, and four <laughs> ties, not that I was keeping track or anything. Stay with us on The David Glenn Show. We have a big team that we have to thank, but time is running short. So I just want to say that this award is dedicated to Kobe Bryant. May we all have a second act as great as his was. Thank you. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. That was former NFL player Matthew Cherry dedicating his Oscar to the late, great Kobe Bryant. As we come back to your calls, we do have lines open for the first time in a long time. Best and worst of the weekend style, as you might guess. Many are hailing the Blue Devils from Coach K to Trey Jones to Wendell Moore with the game winner. Vernon Carey and Cassius Stanley also helped a lot before they fouled out. Tar Heels kind of ran out of players, right? They were only using seven for the most part. Leaky Black and Armando Baycott both fouled out. They were really down to five for the most part. And Duke exploited that unwillingness to foul of the five guys left standing for the Tar Heels. In the end, it took a crazy intentional free throw miss and then follow-up bucket at the buzzer for Trey Jones in regulation just to get it to overtime. And then Jones's air ball was quickly turned into a bucket by Wendell Moore at the end of overtime, and hence the celebration unfolded at the Smith Center one more time. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. We're taking your best and worst of the weekend ballots. As I bring you up to date on some breaking news, during the course of today's show, it did become official that former NC State Wolfpack quarterback Philip Rivers, who has spent his entire pro career with the Chargers, San Diego, now L.A., 16 seasons with the Chargers. That is coming to an end, and it became official today. Rivers is 38 years old. He is the most prolific passer in Chargers history. He signaled that his time was probably coming to end with the Chargers last month when he moved his family from their longtime home in the San Diego area to Florida near his childhood home in Alabama. He's an eight-time pro bowler. 
He is sixth in NFL history in both career passing yards and touchdown passes. He led the Chargers to the playoffs six times in his 14 years as their starter, including an appearance in the 2007 AFC Championship game. Of course, he remains on that one of the best players never to even play in the Super Bowl list, but he's not finished yet. This is a weird year. Remember, technically, Tom Brady is a free agent in New England, although everybody seems to think he'll stay with the Patriots. Drew Brees is a free agent in New Orleans. Ryan Tannehill is a free agent. Jameis Winston is a free agent. Uh, another Saints QB, Teddy Bridgewater, is a free agent. Some wonder if the Panthers are going to go in his direction. Phillip Rivers' 224 consecutive starts are the second most by any NFL quarterback, trailing only Brett Favre whose streak was 297. Rivers, remember, was picked fourth overall back in 2004 out of NC State by the New York Giants. But that was the flip trade where Eli Manning did not want to be a part of the Chargers organization. So the Chargers and the Giants got together. Rivers goes to then San Diego, ends up setting 30 different franchise records with the Chargers. Manning, of course, goes to the New York Giants in that trade and ends up a two-time Super Bowl champion and a two-time Super Bowl MVP. 1-800-849-2761. If you'd like in on best or worst of the weekend, uh, the Chargers put out a statement. I've said before that Phillip can still compete at a top starter level. And in a perfect world, number 17 is your quarterback forever. The rest of the statement goes, obviously, we live in an imperfect world where the only constant is change. I think Phillip's tremendous perspective, both when it comes to football and when it comes to life, helped lend clarity to a very complex situation. Phillip and his people had sat down with the, the Chargers people. That was the general manager's statement, Tom Telesco. Uh, that he put out a little bit earlier today. Kevin is in Burlington and has Duke Carolina on his mind. We have taken a lot of complaints about the officials. We have taken a lot of calls celebrating Coach K winning the chess match against Roy Williams. The Tar Heels, of course, missed a lot of free throws. Both sides did a lot right. You can only have one winner. And after the Tar Heels led for almost the entire game, Duke ends up with the win 98-96 in overtime. Kevin, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Thanks, David. All right, so mine's going to be a little bit of the best and worst, and yeah. if I can, I'm going to elaborate, elaborate briefly on the the worst. So the best of the weekend is Carolina and Duke living up to the rivalry when a lot of people, a lot of my friends, they said, oh, it ain't going to be as special this year. So that was good. You're right. Me. You're right. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll salute that best of the weekend because you are 100% right on that. And the worst of the weekend, you know, I'm a lifelong Tar Heel fan. I remember watching Marquette Carolina game with my dad as a kid. I've seen Phil Ford in the 4-2 to two at halftime game. My point is I've been around for a long time. Yeah. I, I went to the Dean Dome the day after they lost to Villanova. I was on Franklin Street when we beat Gonzaga. My point is the highs and lows as a Tar Heel fan has been many on both sides. Yeah. But nothing was quite as gut-wrenching as that loss Saturday night. Because of the season we had and to have that game in our grasp and to let it get away, it just epitomized what our season has been this year. You know, who's to blame? A lot of things went into losing that game. Right. A lot of things. But I'll, I'll end with this. Go Hills. Thanks for calling, Kevin. And I'll tell you what, if you added most painful regular season Carolina loss – 
I think you might get a lot of support from other Carolina fans. It's always hard to say that any regular season loss, even if you had it in your grasp, even if it's to your arch rival, even if it's on your home court in front of those fans who thought they had a win and then watched it get away. In my years getting to know Duke fans, Carolina fans, State fans, Wake fans, and, it's, and everybody else, I don't think anything measures up to the pit or kick in the groin feeling of the year where you think your school is good enough to win it all, and in the postseason, you have victory snatched away from you in some painful way. In other words, the worst regular season loss will never feel as bad as the worst postseason loss, especially when that postseason event is the NCAA tournament. In terms of the regular season, I'm not sure you're not right. Because most years, as disappointing as it is, nobody wants to go to the cubicle the next day and hear from their rival, State versus Carolina, Duke versus Carolina, State versus Duke, whatever. Nobody wants to hear it, especially when your side had it in its grasp. And then it got away for a whole weird combination of reasons. Stuff the Tar Heels didn't do right, free throws and otherwise, but also mental mistakes, the officiating, but also stuff that Duke did well. I don't think you can reach that point with a regular season game compared to the postseason. But when your regular season has become a debacle, when you're 10 and 13 now, if you're 11 and 12, could you picture scratching and clawing your way to a winning record? And even if you don't shock the world at the ACC tournament in Greensboro next month, you'd at least be invited to the NIT. How did Roy Williams rescue the only year dating back to the 1970s when he was assistant at Dean, to Dean Smith at Carolina. How did he rescue the only other year where his Tar Heels were in jeopardy of finishing with a losing record? Or at his Kansas Jayhawks teams in there for that, for that matter. The only season that was anything like this was 10 years ago. And what happened was the Heels scratched and clawed all the way to 16 wins and 16 losses. And you know what? That's horrible by Carolina standards, going back a half century. That's a de debacle of a season. But you got to 16 and 16, you got invited to the NIT, and you almost won the NIT. So that 10 years ago, yes, it's on Roy Williams' resume that he missed the NCAA tournament the year after winning it in 2009. Nobody wants that on their resume, right? But instead of it being win it all in 2009 with Hansborough and that crew – and then everybody leaves pretty much, and then you have a losing record, well, at least you made the NIT and you made the NIT championship game, and you avoided what would have been the first losing record in your entire coaching career, or at least college coaching career. John Calipari in Kentucky won it all and missed the NCAA tournament the following year. That was this decade. UConn won it all and missed the NCAA tournament the following year. So that 2010 Carolina team is in that other bad company. Three examples just from the last decade, winning the national title and not even making the tournament the next year. He didn't win it all last year, but this is rarefied air. This is 10 and 13. 11 and 12 with a win over Duke. Would have had some other teams wondering, man, what does this group have waiting for us? I think it would have had, and if they can gain confidence from now, it still could happen. Would you want to play the Tar Heels with Cole Anthony at point guard? He helps their defense when he's not in foul trouble. He's upgraded their offense because he can just make something happen at the end of an ugly shot clock, it, unlike any other player on that roster. 
Leaky Black actually distributes better when one of his wing guys is Cole Anthony, who didn't hit threes against Duke. I think he had one, but does have that in his arsenal and does get a lot of defensive attention, which gives Baycott and Brooks and Brandon Robinson, when he's healthy, that much more space. In Greensboro, the Cole Anthony plus assumedly healthy by then, Brandon Robinson, plus Leaky Black playing this role, plus Garrison Blook, Brooks, plus Armando Baycott, and really Christian Keeling and Justin Pierce, graduate transfers. You're not supposed to grow into your role if you're a graduate transfer. You have a diploma from your previous school. You're supposed to be a seasoned, savvy veteran, ready to help in your first game as a Tar Heel. They were not. Christian Keeling was completely invisible for most of this season. Very good game against Duke. Justin Pierce has been more up and down, but pretty good game against Duke. Those top seven I just described will be hard to deal with come Greensboro. The question is, what is their record by the time they get to Greensboro? Even if you are an optimistic Carolina fan, it is hard to picture them scraping together enough wins to dig out of this now 10-13 and 13 hole. You still have eight conference games to go, and some of them are brutally difficult. At Duke, good luck with that. At Louisville, good luck with that. There are other examples. At Notre Dame, not quite as scary, but Notre Dame's playing well lately. At Syracuse, guess who else is playing well lately? The Orange. NC State's got to deal with Jim Beheim's team tomorrow night up at the Carrier Dome. So you got Wake Forest tomorrow night in Winston-Salem. As much as the Tar Heels showed a lot of signs of progress in that almost-had-it game against Duke, are you sure they're going to beat Wake at Wake tomorrow night? Are you sure? Maybe they will. They actually have the Deeks home and away still left on their schedule. But to get to a winning record out of a 10-13 and 13 start, folks, you got to win a bunch of the games that I just mentioned. And that's easier said than done. They still have Virginia and NC State at home. They still get the Deeks at the Smith Center. You can picture four or five wins, I think. But even if you get four or five, you're still 15 and 16. I think the numbers would add up to by the time you head to Greensboro. And again, that puts you in jeopardy for something that has never happened in Roy Williams' almost half-century-long coaching career, counting his time as an assistant. Last call for phone calls on the other side, 1-800-849-2761. What was the best thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe and what made it that? Some of you went back in on things you didn't like or did like in the Duke Carolina matchup. If you watched the XFL this weekend, simple question, what did you think? More than 3 million Americans were dedicated TV eyeballs as Vince McMahon's old but new league launched this weekend. All eight teams in action. Four winners, four losers, some ugly offense, but some big big crowds in terms of in-person attendance. And three million plus is a really good average TV audience, especially given that this is a new thing and people are not in the habit of tuning it in. You can be next with your question or comment. You can chime in on your answer to those questions. Spike Lee is a best of the weekend for reasons related to the sports world. We'll get to more of those best and worst with more of your calls next. Christian Leitner, thanks for joining us. It's been less than a week since the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30. The final product of the movie was absolutely awesome. I love every second of it. Maybe I'm not seeing the same thing everyone else is seeing, but I thought the movie was awesome and I loved it. Keep it here on The David Glenn Show. 
Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Here we go. Last call for phone calls. Cameron watched the XFL. Ron has the Wolfpack on his mind. Quick update, by the way. I mentioned NC State's women being number four in today's polls. That is not their highest ranking ever. It is their highest ranking in 20 years. Their highest ranking under their great coach, Wes Moore. And, of course, a great place to be. On the men's side, it's Louisville at number five, Duke at seven, Florida State at eight in today's new polls. Blue Devils hosting the Seminoles tonight, 7 o'clock on ESPN. On the women's side, the Wolfpack leads the way in the ACC. They've lost only once, 22-1. and one. They are at number four, the highest that they've been in the rankings in 20 years, and obviously will be a fun team to watch as the women's NCAA tournament gets closer and closer. We have roughly a month left in the regular season of college basketball, and then we head to all these postseason events. We'll see you all in Greensboro at the men's ACC tournament a little bit more than one month from now. Ron is in Goldsboro and has an unusual best or worst of the weekend. Go right ahead, Ron. Um, NC State not playing this weekend was the best of the weekend. <laughs> Are you um, a Wolfpack fan? And they just... I'm a Wolfpack fan, but I'm, you, I'm about sick of Kevin Keyes. I don't know what, what, what they're going to do with him, but um, he, he told a good sales when he first come there about what he could do and what he was going to do. But he ain't done nothing. He haven't recruited well. Um... I don't know about that. I, I follow recruiting pretty well. I think you're going to like the guys they have coming in. Uh, so he, so basically, your best of the weekend is that you didn't have the heartburn and indigestion that you usually have when you watch the Wolfpack play. Is that the the idea here? That's exactly right. <laughs> Kevin Keats, for those who forget, was great at UNC Wilmington. Showed up and he did make the NCAA tournament. Uh, in year one as the Wolfpack's leader. So we can't say he's done nothing. He barely missed it in year two. They were a bubble team, and they did not make the cut, obviously. And now they're a bubble team again this year. I just saw Joe Lenardi had them, I think, among the first five or six teams on the outside of the bubble. So they're in a place that probably nine other ACC teams would love to be, Tar Heels included, and they're just not up there with the big boys, and they're not even up there with, say, a UVA. But if you, don't, if you don't follow recruiting, they've got a kid named Josh Hall, in-state player on the wing, Cam Hayes, in-state player at point guard, and a couple of others. Uh, they're, they're, these dudes can play. I, I think you're going to like what Kevin Keats has coming next year. Now, I don't blame you for wanting to see an NCAA tournament team this year, and I don't think they're dead yet. Keep in mind, folks, I could give you eight teams that do not have a, a realistic shot at the NCAA tournament in a 15-team league. Pitt, Virginia Tech, and Clemson, I'm telling you, are headed to the NIT. BC, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Miami, and yes, Carolina are the bottom third of the league. So no, you're not where you want to be if you're the Wolfpack or if you're Syracuse or if you're Notre Dame or even if you're UVA. But you'd rather be in the hunt than you would be down there in the land of misery. So UVA projected in right now. Syracuse and NC State play each other tomorrow night. Notre Dame is on a roll and got another victory just this weekend. Finally starting to look like the good basketball team I thought they were going to be. They won at Clemson over the weekend. I think that game was just yesterday. It's actually a huge week for the Fighting Irish, who desperately need big wins to get on the right side of the bubble. They're at UVA tomorrow night, the Irish are, and they're at Duke on Saturday. So we have such a big week. If you're Duke, you're jostling for position as you host number eight Florida State tonight. 
if you're NC State and Syracuse head-to-head against each other tomorrow night, you're just trying to get from the wrong side to the right side of the bubble. If you're Notre Dame, you, of course, must have one of those wins, if not both, as you visit UVA tomorrow and visit Duke on Saturday. Mike Bray's team just got took too long to get started. It's almost like Carolina's finally looking better, but they're 10-13. and 13. And unless you're going to shock the world and win the automatic bid at the ACC tournament, which is unlikely for anybody not named Duke, Louisville, or Florida State, you know, you're just not going to build an NCAA tournament resume, even if you show that you're a much improved team here in mid-February and down the stretch. Cameron in Spring Lake, you're next on the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hey. Hey, man. What would you think of the watch, XFL? Uh, yeah, I watched the XFL this weekend, and I loved it. Um, the quality of play was good. The, the players' enthusiasm for the game was great. The, the kickoffs were, you know, in my eyes, perfect. Uh, I love the, the sideline interviews. Yeah. The only issue is the deep ball. Quarterbacks really didn't go for the deep ball. They're having, you know, good completion percentage, but they're only racking up 150 yards off of like 15 completions. Um, and I, I want to know your take. Do you think it's the short play clock, you know, not being able to get receivers back to the huddle, or do you think it's the XFL afraid of a bad Yeah, from I think I, I watched some of it. The defenses are ahead of the offenses, and every coach I've ever talked to in every level of football will say, if you have limited practice time or limited build-up time, the defenses are going to be better than the offenses because offense is so much about execution. And the less practice time you get, the more it's going to show. So maybe that'll get better, actually. It's interesting your take on that because the more, the more fans like Cameron in Spring Lake, North Carolina, that Vince McMahon can get for the XFL, that, the better. Because there's only eight cities that can say, oh, yeah, I'm watching because there's a team in my city. That's, that's only eight cities. So they need a lot of people not located in those eight cities to care. Now, where were the TV ratings best? For the most part, in those eight cities that sponsor teams in the XFL. But if, you, if you're watching, even though you're not in those cities and even though there's not a lot of star power, like there's no Colin Kaepernick. There's no Johnny Manziel. Both of them talked to the XFL but asked for too much money or whatever. They're going the budget route. These guys are only making like 50 grand for the whole season. And that's not bad money for many people in many contexts, but by pro sports standards, obviously, it's relative peanuts. So there's an economic model that can work, especially if they continue to get the TV viewership that they got on their opening weekend. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. If my low and away curve that barely paints the black so frequently that nobody can hit it, you're going to tell me I got to throw change-ups, fastballs, and sliders all the time? Oh, it's too difficult to hit TTG's <laughs> low and away curveball. Wah, 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 wah. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch Thanks to Dan Shulman of ESPN for being a part of our Duke Carolina coverage the day or Monday after the big game. Thanks to Charles Hadley for filling in for Darren. Intern Will is on his way to the Florida State Duke game. Be nice to him there. You got hockey, you got tennis, you got NBA, you got college hoops tonight. Enjoy. We'll see you tomorrow. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. 
The David Glenn Show.